Hi guys, it's Jill, and this is the Equine in Theory podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. And today I want to talk about some of the misconceptions surrounding positive reinforcement training. There are a lot of them, but today I'm going to touch on a few and give you guys my thoughts and opinions on them. So let's jump in. Misconceptions. What a wonderful topic to discuss today. Misconceptions about positive reinforcement. <laughs> Misconceptions are not a fun thing at all. They um, lead people to believe inaccurate information. And if you're not familiar with what a misconception is, it is akin to misunderstanding or falsehoods. If you are interested in a thesaurus, that's me. Um, anyway, so misconceptions around positive reinforcement. I could go on about this all day and will likely do another episode touching on some different topics in the future. But um, for now, I just want to talk about a few. Um, I'm doing this project for um, the Restart program. They're filming a documentary um, to bring more awareness to positive reinforcement trainers because, you know, there's the the Buck movie about Buck Brandeman. There are all sorts of documentaries about natural horsemanship with Clinton Anderson and Pat Pirelli and Monty Roberts and all of those guys, but there isn't one on positive reinforcement horse trainers. So um, the restart program is really trying to bring that to light and change that. So they've reached out to a bunch of us and you can check out their project um, on their website, and um, they have a whole cast of awesome, incredible trainers on there, and um, as I was filming my interview, it really got me thinking about some misconceptions, and um, I can't wait for that video to come out. I'm not sure when exactly the release date is, but I'll keep you guys posted on that, but um, it got me thinking about a lot of the misconceptions, and I really wanted to be able to elaborate on that a little bit, um, so bringing it to the podcast. <laughs> um so, one of the first and biggest misconceptions is about the weight, horses gaining weight. And, um, I don't know, I, growing up, I always saw people that worked with treats with mega fat horses, and I was like, whoa, is this, I mean, like, you know, obviously you say food plus horse equals fat, like, that was the simple equation, um, but I think that the issue lies in what type of training you're doing. A lot of the ones that I saw were just doing like, you know, casual bowing and um, like rearing type tricks, nothing that was really exercise based. And um, a lot of them weren't predominantly riders or really exercising their horses and had some like more pony type breeds. And um, I'm sure they had them on their own feeding regimen and whatever. And I can't speak to what exactly they were doing. But from an outsider's perspective, it seemed like it was more a just-for-fun thing, and a um, and they didn't mind the horse's weight. <laughs> um, whereas in my case, um, with Mac, it's been a very good thing. T to start, we don't work with sugary treats, um, at least I hope most positive reinforcement trainers don't. Um, most of us work with, like, alfalfa pellets um, or really low-starch, low-sugar treats, and... Um, do them like just a couple at a time through a training session and um, really no more than they would graze in that same amount of time. So um, shouldn't be putting on a ton of weight doing that. Um, 
And uh, if you are familiar at all with my Instagram or YouTube and you've seen Zoe, um, she's put on quite a bit of weight, um, but that is not for lack of trying to limit her weight. She used to be a two scoop a horse day, uh, two scoop a day horse, um, two scoop of horse a day. Yeah, right. Um, anyway, we used to have to give her two scoops of food a day and now she's on less than half a scoop and is still a chubby bean. Um, mostly just because she has had such a vast lifestyle change. She's no longer in heavy work and as a result is no longer the most anxious being on planet earth. And, um, she just kind of hangs out in her paddock and I do what I can with her. Um, we're working towards being able to do more ridden work and lunging work so that we can get more exercise in, but that is, that is our goal. But the, the treats aren't having a direct impact on her weight. It's just <laughs> the environment she's in now. We've cut her feed quite a bit, and um, she still has access to hay and grass and everything. So um, trying to keep her healthy, um, but she's by no means, like, over overweight. She's just a little pudgy, a little pudgier than I'm used to seeing her because I'm used to seeing a horse that looks track fit. Um, and then Mac, um, we've been... We've increased his feed and um, because he came off the track and he had ulcers, so we're trying to do some gaining right now. And um, the alfalfa pellets, like I said, it's like it's less than feeding them a flake of alfalfa within a training session. So it's it's not an absurd amount. So it's not going to make your horse super fat to work with treats unless you're using a super a super sugary starchy treat which I don't recommend anyway, which is because it's not good for their tum-tums. So, yeah, so that is that myth uh, debunked in my opinion. I, uh, it does not make horses fat. It's the type of training you do, not treat training, but, like, what you're doing in your sessions uh, that can uh, have an impact on that. And also the horse's lifestyle and their um, daily diet. So lots of factors there. You cannot blame just the training uh, for that. And the method does not make horses fat inherently. It is the application of the trainer and also the other aforementioned factors. <laughs> um, so moving on to the next thing, this is sort of, I don't know, it's not really a misconception so much as it is an opinion. Um, when I first encountered, um, people who worked with treats, I, there's one very different thing about clicker trainers or treat trainers uh, than traditional. And it is that you wear a hip pack or a fanny pack, a bum bag, whatever it is that it is called. I am aware that the word fanny is not a polite word in the UK, but that is what I have called them my entire life. So, and it just means butt to us. So I don't know. Sorry, Americans are dumb. I don't know. But anyway, um, so using a bum bag, I thought was just ludicrous. I was like, why on earth? Are you walking around with this ugly, hideous piece of fabric around your waist with treats? It's just unnecessary. That's not real training. And um, so I thought it was all fun and games, you know, just for trick training here and there. You're using food. Um, but now I realize um, I had a good friend. I forget exactly who it was, and I'm ashamed of myself right now for that. But I had a friend make a post on Instagram about the same thing, thinking that it was so weird that people used bum bags and clickers and target sticks and all this weird stuff to teach their horses. 
And um, they were like, I don't need all that. It's unnecessary, just extra equipment. But then you look at traditional training and think about how much stuff you need. I mean, you need whips and spurs um, occasionally. And then outside of that, most people ride in bridles and saddles and you have to have a girth and splint boots and um, lunge whips and a lunge line, a lunging cabasson, and just like so much other equipment. And it's just a difference in tools and training. For positive reinforcement, you're good with a clicker and a bum bag and a target stick, <laughs> and you can do a whole lot with that. Um, whereas in traditional training, you might need some other tools, and it's just a difference in what you use. And it's not weird. It's just a different way of going about it. And beyond that, bum bags are 110% coming back in fashion. Like, have you, has anybody seen Coachella pictures? Literally everyone was wearing one. Beyond that, they're so convenient. Are you kidding me? Like, I, I am not a purse person. <laughs> I know I'm deviating here, but I am not a purse person. Don't carry one. Never have. Probably never will. But to just have like a little bum bag that you got your phone, your keys, your wallet, whatever in, and just carry that around or rather not carry it because it's hands-free see it's amazing and to be able to do that with horses and then uh, work with food is also incredible so I don't know I don't think it's weird anymore and I think that that is was just a matter of me being ignorant and being like oh that's stupid why would you do that because it was different than what I knew so of course it was dumb because <laughs> if, if it's not what I'm doing then it's stupid that used to be my mentality and that is oh god I mean, not stupid, but I just didn't get it, and I didn't understand it, and I was like, ugh, why would you do that? And I'm working on being a more open-minded person. I normally get comments about people saying, oh, you're so open-minded, but then sometimes I have opinions like that, and then I'm like, Jill, and I look back on them, and I'm like, I, oh, God, okay, not the definition of open-minded there. Um, but, you know, we all pass judgment, and uh, we learn from them, and sometimes we are humbled, and I definitely was. Okay, so the next misconception I want to talk about is that if you use food, you will teach your horse to bite. <laughs> that is the most common, most misunderstood thing in the horse world, I think. And um, that if you use treats with a horse, it'll bite. And I think that same line of logic uh, could be applied to dogs. If you use food with your dog, it will bite. Have any of you ever fed a dog from your table or taught your dog to sit with a treat? It does not teach them to bite. <laughs> there are other factors in the environment that can cause the dog to bite or its history, but generally speaking, using food does not teach a horse to bite. It's other stressors. Is the animal anxious? Is it worried that you're not going or that he's not going to have any more access to the food? Or has it been withheld from him before? Or has he dealt with um, having to fight for food in his paddock? Like, does he have food anxiety? Or has he been hit before for, like, coming into someone's space so he feels like he needs to snatch it real quick? Those are all potential factors that could teach a horse to bite when uh, being given food. So I was always taught that if I was going to give a horse a treat, and I'm talking, like, back before I started positive reinforcement, this is what I was told. Like, if I was giving a horse a treat, you just give it. Doesn't matter where you're standing, your body position, doesn't matter. Just give the horse a treat. His nose can be in my space, on my space, out of my space, doesn't matter. Um but you just give it. And then if the horse bites at you or nips at you or reaches out to you, um, either push them away or if they get too aggressive, then just pop them or hold out your elbow and let them bump into it so you didn't actually hit them. It was them who did it. Um, all of those things. And I've seen some awful stuff on Facebook about 
helping horses stop biting. Um, <laughs> I, I've seen so many pictures, or uh, I saw a post in OTTB Connect once um, that was, my horse is biting, what do I do? And the comments were horrible. I mean, people were saying that you should bite your horse on the neck. Now, if you were not a horse person and weren't really familiar with how horse people's brains sometimes work, and you were seeing people talk about biting their horses, you would think that they were insane. Like, are you biting your dog or cat's ear for doing stuff wrong? I don't think so. At least I hope not. Um, so I, I was just like, this is insane. And people would be like, deck them as hard as you can or pinch their skin so they know what it feels like. And I don't think that that message is getting across to the horse. Certainly they're not thinking, oh, my human is biting me back in the same way that a horse in the paddock would. They would be like, out, that hurt. <laughs> And um, if you could do it fast enough, you might discourage the exact behavior that um, you're trying to punish. But um, usually the punishment is delayed and therefore not terribly effective. Um, the only way in my book and the best way, in my opinion, to teach a horse to stop biting is to teach the horse what you would like him to do instead. And the way to do that is with food. <laughs> and I mean, at least... Uh, using positive reinforcement, that's how I teach my horses not to bite and not to be um, muggy for food. And in doing that, um, you know, it's incredibly effective because the problem with just punching your horse in the face or pushing them off of you if they go to nip at you or actually do nip you is that the horse only learns that he gets punched or he got punched that time when he bit at you. And in order for punishment to be effective, it has to be maintained every time. So every time your horse would bite at you, you would have to punch him in the face. And then you're not guaranteed that he won't continue or won't get more aggressive. And I talked about this in one of my podcasts prior, I think talking, I think it was the what is positive reinforcement episode. The problem with using punishment is it induces either fear or avoidance behavior. So you don't want your horse avoiding your hand every time it comes near his face, and you also don't want him afraid of it. Um, and fear can um, fear can come out in many different ways. It can uh, present as either avoidance, like I said, or it can be aggression. And you don't want aggression because, <laughs> I mean, if your horse is biting at you and you punch him and he defends himself in an aggressive manner... He's likely going to bite at you again or strike at you, and that puts you in a very dangerous situation. So we don't want that. I think we can all agree. Um, and, you know, I, I've talked to people before that are like, no, it worked for my horse and he knows better. He doesn't bite me anymore. And I just, I taught him a lesson and punched him, blah, blah, blah. And that's great. I'm super happy for you that your horse doesn't bite anymore. But I think that there are other ways to do it. And that doesn't work for every horse. I had one, and that is how I was taught to correct that behavior, and guess what? He still bit. <laughs> so, um, I, I just think that it is better to, instead of just outright punishing the behavior, find the root of the behavior, and then fix that. So, I talked about it in uh, my episode, I think, um, be uh, behavioral problems and positive reinforcement solutions. Um, about max biting problems. So you can go back and listen to that so I'm not being completely redundant here. Um, but I um, 
I was like, okay, what are the reasons that he could be biting? And so I went back and reviewed them and I listed all of those reasons earlier. And also he was ulceric. He had ulcers in his stomach and it was making him uncomfortable. And being nippy is a key indicator of the horse potentially having ulcers. So um, we treated him for that and the behavior dissipated a lot. But I also went through training to teach him how I would like him to behave around me, how I would like him to behave around my hands, and also tell him that hands are a good thing and that he is allowed to come into contact with them, but this is how I'd like him to do it. Um, And in short, it was to hold up my hand and have him place his mouth in my hand with his, like, jaw completely still, not moving at all. And also he takes treats from my hand, and um, this is a horse that bit at me frequently, and bit my hand once and now he doesn't bite at all and he never bites when he's taking treats either so it it does not teach horses to bite in fact it taught a horse how to not bite um so complete misconception in my opinion and um as i was saying to circle back here um using positive reinforcement you can teach a behavior that is incompatible with the one you don't like so for instance the one we don't like is obviously biting so in order to teach an incompatible behavior, you have to pick something that the horse cannot do at the same time as bite you. The most obvious behavior is to stand with his head in the center of his chest, not in your space. He can't bite you and be out of your space at the same time in that position. So you reward for that position, and we do this over protected contact so that you don't run the risk of getting bitten. And when you teach that in protected contact, then the horse learns how to behave around food and um, how to take food and how to not bite. And um, I obviously took it a step further with Mac because it was continuing to be a problem. But for most horses, like Zoe, who was very food motivated and was definitely a mugger, um, it was really easy for her to um, just redirect that behavior because after they learn um, that there is no point in being all over you for food, that food doesn't come when they are in that position, they stop being in that position. So they stop coming into your space. They stop biting at you. So they will stand politely beside you and wait. And then you give them one and you reinforce the good behaviors. And a lot of people say that this is also another misconception that I'll lightly touch on here, that um, positive reinforcement trainers don't address bad behavior. And usually people by address, they mean punish it. And um, a lot of times it either indirectly gets punished uh, with negative punishment, but we try to not do that intentionally and um, try to keep that as out as possible. I mean, I I don't like to work with punishment in any form, negative or positive. Um, So yeah, that that is that. But as far as not addressing the undesirable behaviors, that's completely untrue. I mean, the the whole point of reinforcing behaviors that we want is to make them more likely to happen. And on the flip side, that makes behaviors we don't like less likely to happen. Take the example of biting again. If the horse is biting and is not getting reinforced, is not getting food from it, not getting anything out of it. And then on the other hand, when he's standing politely with his head in the center of his chest, facing forward out of my space, he's getting treats every time. Why would he bite at me? Why would he do the opposite behavior? If placing his mouth in my hand with his jaw still earns him food, why would he bite at my hand to communicate to me? So it's, it's about teaching the horse how we would like them to communicate with us 
and how we would like them to behave around us. A lot of people forget to take into account that horses are natural foragers and they look for food. So they can get nippy if you withhold it from them because they're searching for it. And it's not the horse being rude or disrespectful. It's just what the horse knows and it's not been taught anything else. And punching it in the face or biting it on the neck or pinching its ear doesn't tell it what you want it to do instead. It just says that's wrong and sometimes that doesn't work. Because the horse is like, okay, that's wrong, but I still want that and I don't know what else to do. So, you know, it's just food for thought on that one. It, uh, I, th- I just definitely think it can be done better. And um, for more on that, you can listen to the episode where I go in more depth about how I taught Mac about um, not biting. The last and final misconception that I want to talk about for this week's episode, I'm sure I will come up with more uh, for later episodes, but for now, this is the last one I want to touch on, um, that the horse is just doing it for food, and if you give the horse a choice, he doesn't want to work. Um, That has been a huge huge thing that I've noticed, a huge trend, I should say, or common opinion uh, among people who are maybe opposed to positive reinforcement or are concerned about what might happen if they try it. So, um, you know, obviously there are people that say you're just doing it for the food, you're luring the horse, and that's, that's just, it's not the truth. The horses are not just doing it for the food. And the reason that that is the case is because the food that I work with and that many other positive reinforcement trainers work with is of no more higher value than the ground, the grass that they are literally walking on and choosing not to eat instead of working with us. And um, it's no more valuable than the piles of hay in their stalls, you know? They would rather work with us. And, um, you know, sometimes that's not always the case and sometimes they're not up for working. But for the majority of the time, I would say 99% of the time, I walk out in Zoe's paddock, she is cantering up to me and is like, hello, what are we doing? (laughs) And it's amazing. And um, it's not just for food, because like I said, she has the complete freedom to leave and she can go graze or she could go hang out with her buddies or she could go eat her hay and she chooses not to. Um, there's a fascinating little concept called contra-freeloading. I will let everyone do their own reading on that because I'm not a scientist. And uh, we'll probably do a very terrible job explaining it, but I'll give it a go. Contra-freeloading is essentially preferring to work a little bit for the reward, the reinforcer, or whatever it is that they're after. So um, in the case of working with horses, contra-freeloading would be working with us to work for the food instead of grazing. So they're working to get the reinforcer. So it's not all about just eating. Because like I said a million times, they can go do that. They have the complete freedom to do so. But they choose to instead work for it because it's fun. They enjoy it. It's enriching to them. It's kind of like solving a puzzle or doing a Sudoku for us. Does anybody actually do Sudoku? Or crossword, I should say. People probably do more crosswords than play Sudoku. I don't know. Let me know if you're a Sudoku person. I don't I don't know anybody that is. <laughs> but anyway, like, just using your brain and, like, being a little bit more engaged and challenging yourself. And the horses enjoy it, too. And so um, it, it can't just be for food. Otherwise, they would just stand around and not do anything at all. And that brings me to the second misconception within this last and fourth misconception, which is that when given a choice, the horses would prefer 
to not work or not train or not play, whatever word you would like to use. And like I said, untrue and largely due to contra freeloading and enrichment and um, interacting with humans and getting that attention and the reinforcer and playing the game. It's it's a lot of fun for horses. And, um, you know, at first, sometimes it goes a little sticky and you have to start slow with them, especially horses that come from a traditional background who don't know this way of training at all. You have to often be really patient with them because they have no idea that they have choice. And um, I listened to the In the Spirit of Horse podcast when I first started um, and listened to Mosey Truitt talk on this. And she said something that really stuck with me, that if you, if you don't respect a no, how are you ever going to get a genuine yes out of your horse? So if every time the horse tells you no, you force them to do it anyway, how are you sure that the horse is ever actually agreeing to participate with you? Because he could be doing it out of fear or out of avoidance or out of wanting to just not encounter any of the potential consequences that come with usually saying no. So at first they might test it a little bit and they might be like, oh, I can actually say no? Okay, cool. I don't want to do that. (laughs) And then they won't. But once they realize that what you're doing allows them to have that freedom and choice and that they're also getting a really cool reward out of it, again, enrichment, contra freeloading, food, all of the wonderful things, then they really enjoy the game and they pick up on it and they're like, oh, I get it now. This is, this is fun. And they are super game to play. And if you have a horse that is really enthusiastic about your traditional training already, then they will definitely love doing positive reinforcement because they'll just be like, oh, another great thing to do with my human. And for me with Zoe, when I first started with her, um, she had the reaction of being like, oh my God, this is awesome. You're not doing what you used to to me. I am all about this. But some of the other horses I work with are a little bit slower to take to it. And they, it takes them a while to warm up um, to the training because they're like, uh, I, don't, I don't like what people have done to me before. I don't really want to interact with you. So I respect that. And then gradually I take what I can get and work with them in smaller approximations and they um, they come around and then they get really excited about training and um, it's it's just a really cool progression to watch with especially those horses that are more closed off or in a state of learned helplessness perhaps or are just not really sure what to think about humans or maybe don't particularly like humans um, so it's it's really fun to watch that and it's just it can be unnerving, especially when we're so used to controlling horses with force and ropes and everything. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just that's how we've always done it. That's how I always did it. And, um, you know, I always dreamt of going out in the paddock with my horse and running around and doing liberty circles and stuff like that. And I just, I, I thought that that was just, it required a magical bond between horse and rider and that um, they just connected and I wasn't connecting with my horse enough. But really, it's just having a better understanding of training and operant conditioning and um, the principles that make animals want to learn and participate, and same for humans. So making it something that's really fun and that the horses actually really want to do, it, it makes them want to say yes, and it makes them want to participate because it's, it's now a fun game for them. So yeah, the, I think that about wraps up my my misconception conversation, 
I just want to talk to you guys a little bit about that because it was on my mind after filming my interview and I um, had to keep it under 15 minutes and I have just talked for almost 30 about this particular topic. So (laughs) I was like, I need space to elaborate. So now it's on the podcast, but definitely keep an eye out for the um, restart program because I think that that is going to be such a cool Um, such a cool project to be a part of, and I am beyond proud and honored to um, be able to participate in something like that, and I hope that you all check it out when it comes out. Like I said, I will keep you all updated on all platforms um, as to when that will be available, and uh, yeah, I think that about covers covers our little episode this week thank you guys so much for listening be sure if you were interested in checking me out on other platforms catching up with us seeing what we're up to you can check me out at jet equithery on all other platforms youtube instagram twitter facebook all the good ones and um yeah i think that's about it if you need any help getting started with positive reinforcement i have a resources page a blog and um lots of get started help on my website which is also jetequithery.com so j-e-t-e-q-u-i-t-h-e-o-r-y.com so thank you guys so much for listening be sure to leave a positive review if you enjoyed this week's episode and i will catch you guys next tuesday bye